Hello, and welcome to Black Magic Treehouse, the podcast that answers the question, when is the fright time to read fright time? Fright time is the fright time to read fright time. I am your host, Jose, but... I just had an aftershock of that opening just kind of ripple through my body. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm Jose, but I'm only one co-host. You heard the ghostly voice of our other host uh, speaking from the darkened end of his J-horror abode. Um, anywho, that's Eric. Hi, Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. <laughs> and I'm I'm falling in love with you all over again, Jose. <laughs> uh, well, it's so nice to know that even after um, 16 episodes that we can still find room for a little spice in this relationship. Of course, we've known each other much longer than the duration of 16 beautiful podcast episodes. Um, but, you know, time and space are iffy things in this den of iniquity that uh, we meet together in twice a month to talk about creepy books for kids. Yes, that's right. I just went into a synopsis of the show, even if you've probably binged through all 16 prior episodes and you didn't need it, you're getting it anyway. But if you're new to the show, um, yeah, that's that's what we do. We We review creepy books for kids that we either read as kids or heard about as kids or had no idea were books um, or had no idea that there were books when we were, ki- you know what? Nope. Nope. I'm not. <laughs> no, no good jokes are lying are lying down that path. So I'm just going to stop and I'm going to turn it over to Eric to say something witty. Oh, uh, do you want to guess what song I have stuck in my head? Oh, is it one that I'm going to mistakenly think that there's less OOs than there really are? Let's see. I I mean, I guess that's always possible with any song. This is true. Some but of them may also, not have I, any. I don't remember the lyrics. Oh. You don't remember the lyrics so, to the song you have stuck in your head? Yeah, I want you to guess what it is so that if you stumble upon the right one, I could say, that's the one. That's the fright one. Um, hmm. I have no no idea what song you have stuck in your head. Not even going to warrant a guess. Oh, well. So what are we talking about this week, Jose? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, this is going great. Um, what we are talking about today. So um, funny story about today's topic, listeners. Um, back in ye old 2023, when we first began this podcast this would have been i don't know february probably february 2023 when we first attempted to get this this tree house off the ground um because tree houses don't go on the ground silly they go up in the trees um when we first attempted to get this thing off the ground uh i chose as the subject of what i thought was going to be our pilot episode um today's topic which is fright time um, suffice to say, that didn't work out very well because the funny thing that happens when you initially start recording episodes of a podcast is that you're probably not very good at podcasting. 
which really took Eric and I for a whirl. I think him, me more than him, because I was the one responsible for uh, doing most of the talking in that episode. And it was about halfway through that I basically said, well, this stinks. <laughs> Let's forget this ever happened. Um, but guess what? Life is funny. What's old is new again. Things always kind of come back around. And here we are, not forgetting about it. In fact, I'm bringing it up right now as you're listening. So we haven't forgotten about it. And in fact, we're diving even deeper because we're not only talking about the book that, uh, the entry from the Fright Time series that I tried talking about that initial day back in February, uh, but Eric also just got done reading an entry from the series and I actually have no idea which one it is, and I can't wait to hear what his thoughts are on it. Just like the old days. Yep, just like the old days. Speaking of when we first started this podcast, we kept so many secrets from each other. Talk about spicing up the relationship. We just kind of walked away from that. For the record, though. Yeah. For the record, I don't don't think I've gotten any better at at podcasting, so... (laughs) Well, that is it's one thing. It's kind of just a flat line. <laughs> well, at least you're consistent. And that's that's something we need more than ever. We need consistent people, even if it's that they are consistently not good at podcasting. You know, you are filling that hole in our lives. So thank you for your service. Yeah, listen to that, politicians. <laughs> Don't get any better. Just be consistent. I think politicians are doing a great job of listening to that to that advice so (laughs) (laughs) just digging their heels in they're like i'm perfect the way i am (laughs) that's right don't you change a thing sweetie (laughs) i'm a real patriot in that sense yeah you could say my superiors in that way Mm -hmm. well so which um do you have any preamble for this? I mean, I guess this has sure. only been preamble up to this point, but before we get into the books proper, so because uh, this is one where yeah. you know you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned um, books that we didn't know existed. That is what this category is for me. I had never heard of Fright Time until just now. Well, just now, a year ago. Hey, and that's how time works up here in the treehouse. Just. This moment, just now, a year ago. That's how things operate up here. We don't make the rules. We just live here. Uh, and I think I asked you at the time, and I can't remember what your answer was. These, The series, Fright Time, was published by a little outfit in New York, I believe it is. Yep, New York, New York. Baronet Books. And if you, the listener, aren't sure name wise what we're dealing with here you know here fright time maybe it seems faintly familiar um baronet books was the same outfit that published oh it's a good thing i have them here because i always get the name wrong um because there was that one classic no uh no punning intended there was that one older um series that adapted the classics that was called great illustrated classics and i always say that that's what these of uh, this other series is but it's it's not it's like um the walmart version it's illustrated classic editions illustrated classic editions 
is uh, the series that Baronet Books put out. They looked like this. I'm showing Eric right now. Do you recall ever seeing things like these in your school or public library? Illustrated classic no. editions. No? Oh, wait. Well, you know what? Maybe if I saw a different cover, I would. They uh, they usually look like this them. when they were in yes. hardcover. Yes, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read Frankenstein in that form. Oh, cool. And probably like Treasure Island or some bullshit. Yeah. So as you could tell from Eric's eloquent description of uh, the series, this was a line of books that adapted the classics of high literature uh, for a young audience. Um, And they had, oh, I was just checking. I thought they had the same cover price as the Fright Time books, but these hardcover, great illustrated classics. See, I always get... Wait a minute. Great Illustrated Classics? Illustrated Classic Editions. All right, so maybe it is Great Illustrated Classics. Guys, I I didn't swear an oath at any time. Maybe the two things are one and the same. I don't know. Don't don't come at me with your, they're the same series, Jose. Um, I'm doing my best here. I'm just taking things off my shelf and I'm looking at them for the first time and over a decade so just get off my case will you anyway great illustrated classics adapted uh classics of literature from stevenson and kipling and uh, i don't know probably later lady chatterley's lover um that's probably a highly sought after edition um but no seriously they adapted them for i'd say a quote-unquote middle grade audience so ages 8 to 12 um and they had black and white illustrations inside to augment the text i first encountered these i think um i was just flashing eric with some paperback copies that i have these came in a set um a set of thrillers uh, because, you know, the word horror just would have been too scandalous to have uh, have used. Um, but this was the thriller pack from Illustrated Classic Editions or Great Illustrated Classics. I don't know what the difference is. But anyway, uh, that set had The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Frankenstein that Eric just mentioned, uh, the Time Machine. It also had The Invisible Man, but I guess I lost my copy of that to the Sands of Time. And it also had... Uh, <laughs> the... yeah. Or you just can't see it up there. <laughs> uh, maybe it is up there. Good one, Eric. Anyway, uh, and also Tales of Mystery and Terror, Edgar Allan Poe. Terror. <laughs> I just flipped to a random page and the time machine and all, all the illustrations, the black and white illustrations and inside, um, have a caption, you know, denoting which moment from the text this picture is illustrating. (laughs) And this one from the time machine is, uh, Weena's strange song and dance. Yeah. I remember Weena. Yeah. You remember Weena? 
Halloween. Uh, did you well, ever anyway. see the? Did you? Yeah. Did you, anyway? Did you ever see the George Pell movie? Yeah. I think I saw. I think I saw that before I read this book, so I had a little bit more of a of a stake in it because um, if I had just encountered it strictly by itself i might not have read it all the way through and found it terribly boring um i remember i was very strategic as a kid like when i got this set this thriller pack of the illustrated classic editions i actually read the time machine first because i had a feeling that it would be the most boring or i should say the one that would least interest me because i wasn't a sci-fi guy so i'm like i'm gonna read the dumb tra- time traveling one first and savor the others afterward um but any as opposed to just not reading it at all huh? yeah i don't know I, I i guess i was a little um i don't know would it, would it be accurate to say a little compulsive as a kid or a little yeah more? no i'm the same way yeah I've gotten a little bit better about that kind of thing. It's like, you know, it's okay not to do the thing. Um, these rules that you're adhering to are completely arbitrary and can be broken at any point in time. It's like, well, thank you, self. That helps me a little bit more regarding my mental health. So I'm trying to be easier yeah. on myself. I'm having a problem right now because Adena bought here's my... Uh first world problem is Adana bought a PS5 for Christmas for um, her younger brother, but it's also like I can play it because it's in the household. And video games today, like they're so expansive, you know, like there's so much crap to do and it's not all strictly necessary usually for like the actual story of the game. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have that problem where I'm like, I want to get on with the story, but the compulsive side of me is like, but go, go explore, you know, get all four chests in this land, make yeah. sure the map says a hundred percent explored. So I'm just like, like um, a prisoner in Hades or something <laughs> like you said, you love video games, play video games forever. Ha ha ha. Where I'm just like, gotta, gotta find the next thing. Gotta do this little side quest. It doesn't matter. I'm so miserable right now. Gotta go find the secret costume that's only available in this cave over here. That's my real dilemma. See, that kind of reminds me, you know, that reminds me of when I was playing the, well, the last few Mortal Kombat games that I played, um, that had those kind of, um, I think, I think they called, I think that mode is called conquest or story mode oh i don't even remember um but like um mortal Kombat deception um the story mode is basically yeah you you can like go from point a to point b and fulfill like the beats of the story um but the map is totally open for you to explore whatever you want basically and i remember like just going from point a to point b because it's like i want to see the story unfold i really you know i don't care so much about like oh look there's you know an easter egg over here or here's this this uh, you know one of the combatants you know a character from the actual game he's just kind of strolling down the street over here and wouldn't it be neat to walk up to him and say hello um but i didn't do that but i remember it's still bothering me (laughs) it's like it's like and you know questioning myself at least a little bit slightly like 
but did I actually did I really play the game if I only fulfilled the bare minimum of what it was requiring me to do it's like oh I don't like that I'm being made to feel this way I mean I think it's neat that the opportunity is there to you know explore these other avenues but yeah just that constant wrestling with the compulsive side of my nature it's like but 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 no no the story just stick to the plan <laughs> yeah yeah so you get what i'm saying oh yeah i'm picking up what you're throwing down uh hey what were we talking about oh yeah the great illustrated classics so if oh, I you know that was the great over. illustrated yeah you thought that was over but it's not it's coming back just like the classics, they can never die. Future Jose is going to be listening to this podcast like, oh, why didn't I move on from this by now? I got to take a break. Well, the reason I didn't move on from this yet, Eric, is because I never <laughs> got to the point that I was initially going to make with these. And that if you don't know what Fright Time is, you may know the great illustrated classics. Those are the same people. And um, even though, regrettably, the Fright Time books... Uh, did not include interior illustrations. The cover illustrations are practically the same. So if you can conjure that image of the great illustrated classics, you know, the, the title in that big, bold red font and get the general feeling, the general taste of the cover illustrations, which to my mind, to my eyes, um, I think I mentioned this this first time that the first time we recorded, tried to record this episode, it conjures um, a mood similar to me as like the uh, Spanish artists that you saw so much in like the 60s and 70s, like Warren magazines, you know, like San Julian, <sighs> other people who I can't think of right now, like um, Alfredo Alcala. There's a bunch of others whose names I'm forgetting, but the the look of the cover illustrations always gave me that kind of a vibe, um, especially with the great illustrated classics. The ones on the covers, or the one, the covers of Fry Time, they give me more or less a kind of similar vibe, but they put me a little bit in mind more and i'm showing eric the cover i don't know why um they put me more in mind of like nancy drew hardy boys three investigators that kind of um dusty antiquated looking artwork even though these were published in the this was something i found annoying about fright time and i wonder if great illustrated classics did this too the copyright year Yes, they did it here, too, in both series. The copyright year, they wrote in Roman numerals. And I hated that, even as a kid. It's like, tell me how old you are. <laughs> Don't be coy. Don't make me pull out a book and try to decipher it. <laughs> but yeah, they wrote it in Roman numerals. So it's but what? M MCM? MCM. Oh, look, look at Mr. Roman numerals over here. MCM XCV. I'm trying to remember what. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Which yep. basically boils down 1995. to uh, 1995. Exactly. 95, baby. Um, But yeah, the covers of these things, you know, it's it's funny that they would write it in Roman numerals, which, you know, is itself 
extremely antiquated way of telling somebody the time. Um, but it, it's funny that they would do that because the covers themselves do look much more antiquated than their actual vintage. You know, these were in 95. These were published in 95. This is three years after Goosebumps started hitting the shelves, which is in all likelihood why this series got started in the first place, as did so many others at the time. I was going somewhere, and then it just kind of faltered out. So I'm going to whoop, whoop, whoop. Good. the thread here. Um, you have something to say while I falter and stutter? No. I mean, sure. Uh, yeah, I think they're kind of like Nancy Drew meets EC Comics, kind of. Yeah. They yeah, feel they, a lot um, less. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't mean to compare every single thing we read to Goosebumps, but yeah. they do feel like um, a more dangerous version of a Goosebumps cover with like walking corpses. And uh, if anybody's ever seen that cover online, I feel like this is kind of the standard cover that gets passed around when people are making like, um, I don't know, like mock covers for children's horror books where there's two kids ice skating and then there's like a skeleton crashing up through the ice that is from fright time that's number 10 really there's a mock horror covers going on appropriating that uh, setup or that artwork i feel like i've seen that several times is like somebody Hmm. will make up like a dumb title for a kid's horror book and then they'll like paste it over that fright time cover so kind of like a paper pack, par- paperback paradise thing. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 funny because like especially um, in the earlier books from the series, they went up to. I think this is the last one here. Number eighteen, um, with this scary twister on the cover um of scary french tornado (laughs) it is a scary french tornado (laughs) i'll get you and your little dog too (laughs) it's like the face of lumiere from beauty and the beast yeah Yeah. after he turns back into a human he's like oh no (laughs) as it turns out i just got turned into a tornado didn't see that coming i think i like the candlestick better Ooh, sounded a little russian there towards the end that's fun Anywho, um... Oh, sorry, not Lumiere. I was thinking of Cogsworth. Doggone it, now the whole French joke doesn't really work. Well, I mean, what what was Cogsworth's deal anyway? He was in France. He was supposed to be French like everybody else. Same for Mrs. Potts. Those British immigrants sullying the ethnic purity of beauty of the beast. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. This won't yeah, lead this, anywhere. This holds feel. This whole, yeah, this holds feeling great. Um, but one thing I do I guess love it's okay to about, say that uh, <laughs> it takes away yeah, some of those more terrible connotations if you're talking about British blood tainting our ethnic purity as opposed to you know well, what well, people actually talk about in eugenics. Yeah. That's what I was hoping for. It's like, ooh, flipping the script. How do you like about that? I just Hamiltoned this deal. 
Uh, yeah, I know. Dropping the rap, 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 rap. Well, That's all I know about yeah. Hamilton. <laughs> it, it's a hip hop thing. Yeah, that was a great the end. Um, yeah, great job quoting the lyrics. Um, anywho, one thing I do love about the early covers of Fright Time is uh, the preponderance of all the sweaters. Everybody's wearing a mm-hmm. sweater. Um, in true Nancy Drew three investigators fashion it's it's always chilly outside um so that like plus the like we said the kind of antiquated throwback spanish influence art style um these just it makes the series seem much older than it really is um even at the time of its inception (laughs) which is uh which is a fun thing to do if you're in the market for that kind of thing um but as Eric said, oh, they also seem kind of reminiscent of EC Comics. That uh, comes down to, in part, the fact that uh, the title of the series, Fright Time, is in this gloriously drippy, bloody font. And um, the way that they denote which entry number it is in the series, it's got that neat little sticker, I like to call it, that says, oh, this is number three, this is number seven, this is number 18. And then um, something that separated these from most of the quote-unquote goosebump rip-off copycat series that proliferated in the 90s and on. It includes three stories. That's what I'm getting at. That's the nice, succinct way to say the thing that I mean. It has three stories yeah. in it as opposed to just and one. And what I discovered... What I discovered with the one that I read is that every story is by a different author, which I did not yeah. realize going into it. And that is very different from um, even some more recentish uh, series that you might have seen. Like, there's this one from Scholastic that came out. When were you published? This came out in. You're welcome, listeners, for this really exciting airtime. Yes, text copyright 2006, the series called The Midnight Library. Um, MMVI. Yes, MMVI. Um, Oh, special thanks to Alan Freewin Jones. So I wonder if that's a little nod. That's a little nod because, oh, hang on. Yes, it says right there. Look at that. We're never going to talk about the actual stories. No, we're not. (laughs) Look, rabbit holes aplenty. But The Midnight Library, um, quote unquote, by Damian Graves from 2006. But in actuality, it's by somebody named Alan Freewin Jones. But guess what? They wrote all three stories that are included in this compendium. So, yes, just another way in which Fright Time is different from other series like it. That was my point, Eric. Get off my back. Unique, you might say. Do you know how you catch a unique deer, Jose? How do you catch a unique deer? Or hunt it, I guess. I don't know what the official joke is. Okay, how? Unique up on it. Oh my god, that's terrible. (laughs) With that palate cleanser, uh, do you want to talk about the actual stories in the book? I guess we might as well. Well, when I, I say red, I mean yeah, red. Remember a year ago, a year plus reading at some point. Number one, I started where it all started with number one. 
fry time. And, you know, uh, something about this series and the great illustrated classics is that um, Eric said he was not familiar with these as a kid. He never saw them. Did you go to, like, where you grew up? Did you have the equivalent of Dollar Tree, Dollar General, any of I those? assume so. Did you never go to them? Um, I may have. I don't know that I cataloged it in my brain as being a really exciting, formative moment in my childhood. I mean, I didn't necessarily catalog it. Well, <laughs> let's be honest. You I know what I was I thinking did. about recently? So <laughs> back back when I worked as a, I worked for the post office for a while as a mail carrier, and I used to deliver to a carpet store. And like this going in there, like the smell and like the booklets where you can page through and like feel the carpet samples and stuff. That was a weirdly um, nostalgic uh, memory Hmm. for me. So I don't mean to shit all over your excitement for Dollar Tree because I'm not saying I was any better. Yeah, we all have our thing, right? Mine was Dollar Tree, Dollar General. Eric's was, well, it was definitely Dollar Tree for me. I feel like we frequented more. Uh, as a family than Dollar General um, because we want things that are for an actual dollar not just things that are generally for a dollar what kind of bullcrap is that Um, but yeah these things were always in the Dollar Tree these Fry Time books and the great illustrated classics you know they'd keep them right around where they kept the sticker books and the coloring books so I saw these all the time I can't remember if I ever actually bought them from the Dollar Tree But man, oh man, I ended up with a pretty good amount of them somehow. So it was either that or, you know, um, my grandfather worked for uh, Goodwill for a stretch of time. And he was just uh, always on the hunt for any books that he thought I would like. Um, So I feel like I ended up with a fair amount of... Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I ended up with a fair amount of fry time books. So how much did these... through, uh, Through those means... How much did they cost at Dollar Tree? Well, here's the thing. The cover price on this bad boy here says seven ninety five, which I guess yes. would be ask. accurate. I don't know. I feel like I got them for way less. And by way less, I mean probably free most of the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the deal. Well, yeah, seven ninety five stands out to me because, like, the Goosebumps books that still have the price on the cover say, mm. you know, three ninety nine or whatever. Mm. So it's like I guess they're compensating for the fact that, like, even though this is generally the same amount of pages, it's three separate stories. Or sorry, three spine tingling tales. Ooh, yes, just what it says: three spine tingling tales for young readers. Three complete stories of haunting and horror. Is that what it says on the back of all of them? Yes. Mm. Ooh, creepy. What else do you got back here? Look for more Fright Time stories of heart-pounding, spine-tingling terror and suspense. Oh, you can't yeah, just spine-tingling twice. I know, right? Just the verbiage alone. You know, heart-pounding, spine-tingling terror and suspense. It's like, Baronet Books, you were clearly in the market initially for you know literary classics just the language that they use it's like this is not the you know reader beware you're in for a scare kind of um you know crass glossy 90 mid 90s marketing 
uh, that you would expect from the big houses. This is like, these are like old fogies playing at, (laughs) playing at the, Ooh, we're gonna, we're gonna sell a creepy series for kids. Well, we're gonna sell them heart pounding, spine tingling terror and suspense. You know, it's like you can practically hear the, you know, sixties era horror movie trailer announcer. (laughs) If you suffer from weak constitutions, do not read this book. It's like that's that's Baronet Bucks trying to be <laughs> goosebumps. <laughs> Very true. Oh God! But anyway, yes. Number one is what I read, and this one, the three stories we have, uh, the order in which they appear in the book is not the same as what you see on the cover. Madman on Main Street, that is the first story. Uh, The second story in the book is called It's Almost Dark. And the last story is called Scary Harry. Scary Harry. Whoa. Whoa. So I'll start with the most boring one. And thankfully, uh, for those of you out there who may also be a little bit compulsive, this will satisfy you. The most boring one in the book is the first one, which is not to say that it's... Hooray! Yeah, getting it out of the way, both on an interest basis and a sequential basis. Um, Which is not to say that it's not um, fairly well written, because it is. It's actually kind of cute. Um... I'd say it's like a half and half deal where it's like, it's well written. A lot of the details are vanilla. Um, Like, I mean, it starts off first person narrator. I, Michael Dane, age 12, am not the world's best student. I'm not even Centerville junior high's best student. I feel like this is something I'm sure there were other, series across other publishers that did this same annoying thing but i i don't know something sticks in my mind as this being a particularly baronet books fright time thing that i saw again and again throughout these stories it's that annoying thing it's like hmm we need a fictional name for a vaguely midwestern town in the in the continental USA how about Centerville? How about Boring Town? How about, you know, just these super lame, super nonspecific names for towns? I don't know. That's, I guess, a dumb thing to get annoyed about. But, you know, it always like, even as a kid, I'm like, what? <laughs> Centerville. Centerville. Place town. The city <laughs> yeah. of Townsville. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. North Place. Um <laughs> I do I do always like um I guess it's like pick your poison. Um I've seen this in both books and movies. I do like it's not exactly the opposite of it. It's the same idea, but um, in in a more gothic register. <laughs> I I do, however, am such a sucker for um, really thunderingly gothic names for for towns and like stories like this, where it's like um, Shadow Oaks or. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, um, ghostly Glenn, you know, or nothing quite as bad as that, but, um, you know, things that are like super gothic, super autumnal. Um, I'm a sucker for those things. Um, and the kids are always like, oh, God, we moved to a place called Undertaker Corners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing, I can't imagine what could possibly happen in a place called Undertaker Corners. And it's like, um, zombies. It's like, well, that just, that's a little on the nose. But you know what? I still like it. <laughs> but anyway, Michael Dane. So he's, yes, you agree. Do you, do you have a... F- do you have a favorite or made up on the spot name for an overly gothic town? <laughs> uh, no. Oh, okay. I thought you might have one in your pocket. Uh, they're always fun. But anyway, uh, we'll get back to you. I'll give you time to think about it. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like my Bailey School Kids title. Yeah, I was um, going to say. Yeah, I sprung it on you. Um, so Michael in the story has a newspaper route um, that he, you know, he may not be the best student, but boy, he really sticks to his paper route. And guess what? There's a madman on Main Street. His name is Abner Hilks. I could look, I could go and look in the book, but it doesn't really matter. His name is Abner. That's all you need to know. Just like Arnold's pig. Uh, Abner Hilks who disappears and reappears uh, around a, you know, the creepy old house on the block. Um, And as it turns out, Abner is like a wizard, but it's really cute. They just refer to him as a madman um, throughout the story, even like when his, uh, his, his sorceress powers are made evident. They're like, oh yeah, that madman. It's like, that's kind of, charming and quaint and i like that um his plot uh that he's trying to enlist or blackmail or yeah i guess enlist because his 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 plot involves blackmail enlist michael's aid he uses his black magic powers to uh allow Michael, I almost said Mark, Michael's grades in school to excel, even though Michael hasn't actually studied for the test, or he doesn't know the answer to the question, he's somehow able to go up to the board and write out the problem beautifully, and oh, the next thing you know, he's the academic darling of Centerville Junior High, well, it's all Abner's doing, and his plan is to use Michael because you see Michael being a newspaper delivery boy has access to the newspaper offices and what is in the newspaper offices you ask the names and addresses of some very prominent and vital people in town and once Abner has these names and addresses he will then be able to blackmail those people and then, by extension, take over Centerville, <laughs> I guess. These details are all coming back to me from the first episode that we did. Yeah. yeah. It's all coming back. It's all coming. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of all of that? Oh, I love that there's a guy who has who can do actual magic, and he still just wants yep. to like use that as a mechanism to blackmail influential people. Of Centerville. Yes, the, 
The magic is just a means to an end, Eric. Yeah. Just to make himself reappear and disappear and creep this little boy out so that he will be influenced into basically holding the door open for him so that he can waltz into the newspaper offices. And even though he has all these spells and incantations at his disposal, he's just going to walk over to that filing cabinet and go, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, let's see. (laughs) So that's the, that's the gist of it. Um, Abner, I don't think he necessarily abducts Michael and uh, Michael's annoying female neighbor, Kara. Um, I don't think he abducts them. I think the kids like try to break into the house to try to I don't know, stop him or, you know, find out some, I don't know. You know, like we said, sweaters, Nancy Drew, the kids are invest- investigating and poking around where they shouldn't be. So we're just rolling with that ball. Uh, so they end up in the house. Abner catches them and brings them down to the basement. And, oh, no, all is looking terrible for our heroes. How are they going to get themselves out of this? Well, Michael's hunky-dory friend, whose name I forgot. Let's just call him Scott. Uh, he breaks into the basement at the last minute and he doesn't really have a plan himself uh, but the thing about Scott is that he loves much like Kel from Keenan and Kel he loves orange soda and he always has a bottle handy and wouldn't you know it during the Malay the open bottle of orange soda splashes on Abner and Abner melts He actually says, my skin is on fire, F-I-R-E, fire, and he melts down to a puddle of goo, and that's the last that anybody heard from the madman on Main Street. (laughs) Sorry, and that was from getting orange soda spilled on him? Orange soda. Is that a commentary on, like, like, um, when you do that experiment where you put a tooth in Coca-Cola or whatever and watch it dissolve. Is this like a covert like message about how bad soda is for you as a kid? uh, It was brought to you by the American Dental Association. Exactly. (laughs) It was an anti-soda message all along. (laughs) I feel like Ralphie, a crummy commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jose. Hey, what's up? Guess what? Um, do you want to know how many what? Centervilles there are in the United States? How many Centervilles are there? And are they all spelled the same way? They are all spelled the same way. And there's 38 of them. 38. <laughs> and so who eight, am I? This caught my eye just because I'm from Illinois. Eight of them, mm. a full eight of them are in <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Is that the highest gathering of any centerville person i didn't look into it that much um there's a few in kentucky (laughs) it might be actually yeah there's four in wisconsin three kentucky yeah they're all in illinois which is i mean i guess that is the midwest so why not yeah isn't that uh isn't that where the simpsons takes place isn't it illinois spring oh i don't think it's canon yeah, it's not, but I think we all know. Kind of like we were saying about Hey Arnold. It's like, it's New York. Don't don't pussyfoot around it. 
Uh, I didn't have anything else to say about it. Okay, cool. Oh, um, let's see. Uh, Autoerotic Asphyxiation, New Mexico. That's my town name for (laughs) the place you don't want to move to. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Boy, we sure got this house cheap. Look at all this closet space. (laughs) Huh, I wonder why there's a belt hanging in every single one of these closets. Oh, well, let's not dwell on that. The property value is so cheap here. <laughs> yeah, I think that one snuck up on me because I didn't know what you were saying at first. <laughs> and then it had time to settle in. And I just got the full force of it right at the end there. Wow. Just like auto. And I think I was also expecting... I think I was expecting Allegedly. something like more spooky. <laughs> I was not I didn't I didn't know that was the path we were going down. So I was caught unawares even more than I would have been. Wow. All right. Well, uh, yeah, so that's Mad Men on Main Street. And like I said, uh, it is actually written fairly well. Um the author Elaine A. Kuhl. Um very cute story. Um like Michael has a very uh, charming voice um, and I collected some quotes from these stories when I initially reviewed the book Um, so yeah isn't it so like Michael talking about his um, his neighbor Kara he says she's this 11 year old and a bit of a know-it-all I'm sure you know the type they're everywhere very annoying (laughs) Uh, and then there's like this nice deadpan moment where uh, mom's voice rang out. Michael, Kara's here to see you. I heard a groan. It came from me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is almost kind of like this like uh, Eeyore droopy <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, attitude about it. Um, but then uh, they're going down to the basement So Abner, it says, uh, he led us down a narrow flight of stairs. I took Kara's hand. It was the least I could do. Poor kid. What a way to go. (laughs) I don't know. He just reminds me of like your, um, your slightly sarcastic nephew. And by your, I mean like the universal you, like that slightly sarcastic nephew that we all have. (laughs) Like that's the energy he's giving off. Like the kid who's not necessarily like... Jonathan Lipnicki levels of precocious, but you know, he's, he he knows enough to like be able to joke with adults, but not in like an, an, uh, an overly saccharine or annoying way. Um, that's, that's the vibe I get from Michael. And, and I appreciate that. I, I think he's a, he's a good egg despite his iffy grades. All right. We stand to Michael. Yep. We stand with Michael. Uh, so that's Mammon on Main Street. The th- second story, it's almost dark. Boy, oh boy, where can I start? Uh, how about this? This is gonna sound like a tangent because it is. Um, have you ever read Goblins in the Castle by Bruce Coville? Why, of course I have. Of course you have. I am just in the middle of reading it now for the first time. Oh. Um, 
It's part of a series, isn't it? It's the first in the series. I think eventually he wrote a sequel, but at the time that I was young enough to oh, read his okay. books, it was not in existence yet. Yeah, I I, I had this this um, thought of it being a standalone for the longest time, but yeah, some somewhere along the line, I picked up on oh, there's another one that sounds like, or possibly more. Um, so this has been turned into a series now. But yeah, I always it was one of those books that I always saw. You know, that cover um, by uh, Tim Hillebrandt, I think it's the artist's name. Um, I always saw that yellow cover um, hanging around. And it was almost creepy enough to entice me to read it. But like I've said on previous episodes, I was just such a a lame, diehard horror kid that, you know, it's like goblins. It's kind of like a fantasy thing i think i'll pass and i did but i'm hoping to correct that ill um from years past but anyway the reason i bring that up is because this next story has goblins in it as well i think they may be referred to as trolls so i'll have to verify that um but goblins in the castle this is not Oh. So there's there's your connection. There's your connection. <laughs> That's a good blurb for the cover. Yes. Goblins in the castle. This is not. So That would be funny this... if the... <laughs> I'm imagining a book where the reviews are so terrible that the blurb that they pull out for the cover is like, well, this is still negative, but it's not as hateful as the rest of the reviews. <laughs> and it's in a way likening it to a good book. <laughs> if you love Goblins in the Castle... It. This will vaguely remind you of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like oh, I feel like I actually came across uh, I think on social media. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh it was um I think it was one of the paperbacks from Hell reprints which uh reproduce um a quote from Stephen King for it. Um I want to say it was The Abyss. By Jeer Cunningham. Well, yeah, naturally. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll feel slightly stupid if I'm if I got the details um, of the author or the title wrong, but I feel like it's the one that's just coming out now, um, "The Abyss" by Jeer Cunningham, um, and I feel like it reproduced a quote from Stephen King that said that either Cunningham as an author um, or th- the book in particular, but I think it's um, the author. He said, uh, Cunningham comes close to being great. <laughs> and that's the, that's the quote that's on the front of the book. <laughs> it's like, damn it, it's from Stephen King. We're putting it on. <laughs> it feels like damning with faint praise. Exactly. <laughs> comes close, close to being great. It's like, well. Almost worth reading. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> It's like, well, that'll move some copies. It'll move a lot more than if we didn't print anything at all. So it's like, well, I guess once you get to that point in the publishing world, you you have to start making those kinds of decisions. But anyway, It's Almost Dark deals with um, one of my favorite tropes. I would say definitely one of my favorite tropes as a kid. I always loved this kind of thing, and I feel like I've mentioned it before, but I loved stories that dealt with um, characters either entering a fictional world or characters from a fictional world entering 
the quote unquote real world of you know the the story proper um i just always love stories like that um this is one of them uh not a story that i love but this is a story that does that thing um and it goes about it in kind of you know a hanky way um so there's our main character whose name is ben ben uh his best friend is spencer spencer caddison and the Caddisons are a bit of an eccentric family. Mom reads tarot cards and gives fortunes. She's, um, I wrote in my review that she's a Morticia Adams type. I can't remember if they actually make that allusion in the text proper or if they just say she wears long black dresses and, you know, has long black hair. Uh, and I just equated that with Morticia Adams, but she's like a spooky ooky lady who reads fortunes. And then Mr. Caddison, Mr. K is a children's writer and illustrator. Um, and all of his books kind of tend towards the fearsome, you know, he's kind of like, uh, you know, what's a good, you could say he's like a, uh, maybe a doll as in Roald doll, or maybe even a Chris Van Allsburg, his, books could get kind of creepy um but he's working on his latest project and here we have a quote from ben who is studying uh what mr k is working on so ben says he'd been drawing these gnome-like wrinkled little squinty guys with pointed ears and dried leaves and damp looking moss that clung to their bodies like messy little caveman suits Count the adjectives in that one sentence alone. Let's make a drinking game out of it. These creepy creatures gave off steam when they moved. They had matted, awful-looking hair and scowly faces, too. So that's the initial description. And, oh boy, we're getting into Eric's favorite territory here, because guess <laughs> what, dear listener? These gnomes, these goblins, these trolls, whatever you want to call them, Does they that have to do with boogers smell. or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh nope, they smell. They stink. <laughs> and that just makes them even more horrifying, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Don't you see? Uh so yes, they they stink. Um so the thing about this story in Fright Time, uh I'm going to read a line from my review because that's the guy I am. Uh, A description that I use to kind of encapsulate the way the story is told in Spencer's voice as um, Jane Ellers is the author. As she writes it, it has like this energy of a breathless kid at a sleepover, (laughs) like the one who... Really wants to tell a ghost story, but everybody else is already gone and everybody's sleeping. But he's just going to sit there and he's going to tell the story anyway because uh, it's really cool and it really happened to him. It happened to his uncle over the summer and the cabin that he went to one time where he lost his retainer. But anyway, that's not what happened in the ghost story. What happened in the ghost story is that my uncle, when he was a kid like my age, like that's the energy. That's the narrative voice of this story. <laughs> and it is breakneck. And I mean, it's in fitting with the goings on because uh ben uh sleeps over uh spencer's house i'm forgetting these kids names already and that that was a fun quote in of itself uh 
how the sleepover came about. Here we go. It says, Mr. K came in. Listen, guys, he said, Ben, how about a sleepover this weekend? Spence, your mom and I would like to go to a movie or whatever while you guys watch Shannon for a few hours Saturday night. What do you say? (laughs) So just to clarify, Shannon is uh, Spencer's baby sister. But I love... I love just the way Mr. K poses this question to these kids, in in particular his son, where he's like, Spence, your mom and I would like to go to a movie or whatever while you guys watch Shannon for a few hours Saturday night. So it's like, hey, you can, hey, Ben, uh, what'd you like about, what do you think about a sleepover this weekend? And oh, by the way, you're going to be babysitters and your mom and I, I don't know, we're going to go see a movie or what the fuck ever. I, I don't even know. We're just getting out of this house. Yeah. <laughs> if I have to look at you like, for oh. another five minutes, I'm going to slit my own throat, kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anywhere. Whatever it takes to get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so does this turn into uh, like a gender swap labyrinth or something? Is there Shannon get kidnapped? Kind of, sort of. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Because uh, at first, I'm trying to remember in the story, at first, the goblins just invade the house. Um, I can't remember. Do they take Shannon? They do take Shannon at some point. But there's like a switcheroo of sorts. I can't remember. I think they take Shannon first. Because, th- no, shit, I don't remember. They end up with a goblin baby. So it's like, uh, I don't think it was like something that the goblins calculated. I think it was just like a general mishap that they ended, the boys ended up with a goblin baby. And then they either took Shannon as revenge. I feel like that's what happened because where it goes from there after, you know, Ben and Spencer stalking through the the darkened hallways that night at the sleepover the goblins are you know tittering and tattering all over the house and i think you know ben's carrying the the you know the hockey stick uh trying to fend off any gob any smelly goblins that come his way oh god and they leave slime everywhere they're just the worst um you know, they end up with a goblin baby, Shannon gets stolen and so the boys actually uh hop into the family Jeep, which is still at the house, presumably. The parents didn't take it with them on their date night. I don't know. But there's a car in the garage that they actually try to drive to the Goblin's Kingdom. I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> but they crash it into a tree. And then the Goblins end up snatching them and taking them uh, you know, to their little underground kingdom, which is like... It's, you know, through the uh, the hollowed out uh, trunk of a tree. Um, and uh, <laughs> so um, I didn't explain it exactly. I just alluded to the fact that, oh, this is a story of fictional creatures coming to life. Uh, it has something to do with Mr. K's newfangled scanner slash printer. It's state of the art. And, oh, the quality comes out so great when you print out the pictures. And I don't think there's even anything half as hacky as like a thunderstorm that takes place during the story. It's just that this thing is just, I guess, so experimental or so super powered that it starts printing out these creatures in three dimensions. I don't know. 
I don't know. Don't ask me. It doesn't I don't know matter. if I love that or hate it. <laughs> well, see, that's I what I mean. both in equal as measure. A, as a kid, I would have been all over that because, uh, you know, that that explanation would have totally sufficed for me. Um, it's like, fine, absolutely, whatever. Whatever it takes to get these, you know, goopy, gory, smelly monsters into this into these kids' house and terrorizing them, whatever. I'm there for it. Um in fact, speaking of Goopy, uh there's a line as Ben is trying to f- find his way around the darkened house, he says, I groped through the hall trying to find Spencer's room, feeling along the wall. I felt slimy stuff <laughs> which is just ambiguous enough to be troubling. Yeah. And also just dumb in of itself. And I feel like, well, there's there was another line. Oh God. There were so many good lines in this story, I swear to God. Um Oh yeah, here's here's one uh, about one of Mr. K's illustrations. Mr. K's picture. It was a face. That goblin, uh, and like I said, just the ellipses in this story, the exclamation points, it just goes with that breathless kid breakneck pace. It's just all so, uh, it's so rich. It was a face, dot, 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 that goblin. It was that goblin Mr. K had drawn that day. I got spooked, and it was talking. That goblin face was talking to us. It's almost dark. It muttered in a low, growly voice, sneering at us. Slobbering, too. It was so gross. (laughs) Like, I both, like you said, I both love and hate how this story is being told. Because it feels patronizing to a point. But at the same time, this feels completely, legitimately how an eight to 12 year old boy would be relating these events to us. If you like gave him a tape recorder, like this is how, this is how Ben would be telling this story. So I think that's why I also love it. Um, but there's some choice metaphors in here. Um, in my review, I said, there's a lot of that kind of thing. And it's almost dark. Ben reminding us how revolting the goblins are and how quote, whacked out with fear, end quote, he is. And if you weren't convinced that Ben was really terrified, consider this powerful metaphor when he says he felt, quote, as if I'd gulp down a golf ball of horror, <laughs> end quote. Oh, my God. So, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Let's see, do I have any more quotes um there's a lot more quotes about some other characters that come into play in just a little bit um but let me finish up with the the rest of these (laughs) oh yeah this is the one i was looking for uh ben says at one point yes i was definitely smelling goblin again (laughs) which is like the kid-friendly version i was just saying this to my wife the other day of like you know, those hacky lines that crop up in movies every now and then. Um, one of my favorites is uh, when characters are hurtling towards something or something is hurtling towards them. And one of them in that moment of 
apparent fear can't help but let out a oh shit (laughs) and then it just you know comes to an end as they crash into it or just barely miss it i love that so much it brings me so much joy uh that feels like the kid-friendly version of that like yes i was definitely smelling goblin again here we go uh let's see oh uh and if you thought if did you like that golf ball of horror by the way i did you like that i yes i wish i could marry it i like it so much (laughs) well guess what later in the story ben says i swallowed my usual ball of fear (laughs) (laughs) oh so this is like maybe a literal thing for him yeah (laughs) it's just a condition he suffers from yeah (laughs) Yep, time to choke down the whole ball of fear again. Yeah, in one of my uh, stories... Oh, and this is a moment... Um... <laughs> I don't want to get too far ahead, but in one of my stories, there were several repeated lines, and I couldn't tell if they were being repeated as callbacks or if the huh. author just forgot that they already used this turn of phrase. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. I wonder if it might have been Jane Ellers again. We'll have to keep that as a surprise for later. <laughs> Maybe she's she just like like to really she just really likes to drive it home. Uh, so this happens during um uh, after Ben has been brought down through the, the hollow tree trunk to the goblins kingdom. He's in like a cage and the goblins are just like taunting him and ribbing him. So Ben says, I was flooded with relief. Saved. Someone was coming through the opening. Yes, this nightmare is officially over. And I feel like I have to stop here to clarify that what I'm about to say is part of the same paragraph. This is not like there's no break in any of this. So I'm going to preface it by saying that, and I'm going to go back and reread it so that you can get the full effect. But what I just read, there is no break between that and what comes next. So listen again. I was flooded with relief. Saved. Someone was coming through the opening. Yes, this nightmare is officially over. No, not yet. (laughs) Real stream of consciousness. Truly, and... (laughs) <laughs> no, not yet has no context whatsoever. Like, w- w- what do you mean, no, not yet? <laughs> you were just saying how you were being saved. And he just goes from the nightmare is officially over to no, not yet. Are you telling me or are you telling yourself? Like you said, it's a stream of consciousness. Like, huh, what? <laughs> you just feel like the rug being pulled right out from under you. Um And so he's saved by Spencer, I believe, and he says this to describe the manner in which he's rescued by his best friend. He held on to me with a grip that was stronger than any dads I know of. (laughs) I guess you don't have much else to compare it to when you're that age. (laughs) Wow, you're as strong as a dad. This is what I mean. (laughs) With the strength of ten dads. <laughs> and this is what I mean about this story. It's like, is this bad writing or is this the most truthful to an eight to twelve year old's stream of consciousness that we have, we have available? Like, does it does it feel bad because it's so unpolished and so unfettered? And yet, is that not 
the truest form that the voice of the story could take. So that's why I'm both in love with it and just baffled by it at the same time. I'm like, what is like just the, the choices that are being made. It's like, this just must've been taken verbatim from some kids ramblings because for an adult to be able to write this way, I think is a feat in of itself. (laughs) Yeah. So he held on to me with a grip that was stronger than any dads I know of. Okay, I promise we're coming to the conclusion of it's almost dark. Here's That's a what lot happens in 60 next. Pages. Oh yeah. And this story ends on a doozy. If you thought Melting Death by Orange Soda was a Deus Ex Machina <laughs> moment <laughs> from the first story, the boys use Mr. K's a handy-dandy, super-fancy scanner printer to reproduce another one of his characters. And I'm going to go back to see if I can... uh, Okay. I'm going to go back to the initial description of one of these characters. uh, They do it to wage battle against the goblins. So we have a real March the Wooden Soldiers moment here where the bogeymen have invaded Toyland and then... uh, Laurel and Hardy, not Abbott and Costello. Uh, We have a crying child. The other character that Mr. K is working on that the boys reproduce via the magical printer is described initially as thus. The head warrior was an awesome combination of a Viking, a knight in armor, and a cop who time travels by computer through cyberspace. You know... The information superhighway. He has everything. Monster headgear with a night vision visor. Geographical scanning grid. A sword made of some metal we haven't even discovered yet. A laser device to deter bad guys. He can even launch fireballs from some kind of thing built into his forearm. He wears part armor, part animal skin. I didn't realize it then, but his name would stick with me for quite a while. Tarks. Is that a, a not an anagram, an acronym or something? Uh, oh, you bet it is. Would you like to know okay. what it is an, an, an anagram for? Yes, I do. When I posted the uh, when I posted the review of um, this book on my old blog. After that description, I included a picture of Ralphie from A Christmas Story, and I said, and this little thing in the stock that tells time. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, look at all the cool stuff he has. Well, I was thinking uh, as you described him, like, it sounds like a, we were talking on the Bailey School Kids episodes about, like, fictional toys. Like, we can't keep them on the shelves this holiday season. This sounds <laughs> yes. like one of those action figures. Like, every cool thing uh, a, a little boy would want. Exactly. Tarks. Would you like to know what Tarks stands for? I'm going to guess that there's Turbo, Robot, (laughs) Turbo. I don't know what the A would be. Turbo, uh, Anachronistic Robot Knight. (laughs) Sentinel. There we go. There you go. Well, here's the thing. Tarx is actually spelled T-A-R-X. Oh, dang it. I was tricked. Yep. 
Yep, there goes your there goes your blueprint. So TARX, T-A-R-X, stands for this. Technically Advanced Robotic Exotitans. That's a cheat, but okay. <laughs> yes, it is. It is such a cheat. Because <laughs> if we're being literal, it should have been tear. Yeah. But I guess that didn't sound cool enough. I don't know if Tark sounds that cool. Tark sounds like <laughs> no. you have to remember for history class, like who was the group that invaded, you know, Normandy in the <laughs> 1300s? The Tarks. <laughs> it was the Tarks. Well, the Tarks are uh, definite. Harkening <laughs> back to another um, of our Tarkening episodes back. where we talked uh, about. Yeah, targeting back uh, to um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ripoffs. Tarks is definitely a RoboCop slash Terminator ripoff. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, which I feel like I'd be curious if there were just as many proliferations as a TMNT of those kinds of things. I'm sure there were, but hell if I can think of any of them. Um, and totally random softball I'm going to lob into the middle of this conversation is to say that I was a big fan of the Terminator versus RoboCop video game. I loved it. What now? Never finished it, but I loved it. I don't even know There was know a Terminator versus RoboCop. Oh, yeah. Is it a fan-made oh, yeah. game? No. No, it was oh. for Super Nintendo. Excuse me. It oh. might have been called RoboCop versus Terminator because you are RoboCop fighting all the Skynet cyborgs. Huh. Yeah, look it up on uh, YouTube. Watch a playthrough. It's I can't fun. believe I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's got those chunky graphics that I that I love so much from Super Nintendo games. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I was sagging yeah. on this story, but I think I my interest is is reinvigorated. <laughs> I like so they. We talk a lot on this show about like revisiting stuff from that era and being like, you mm-hmm. know, like stuff that you just took for granted at the time because. You know, you didn't look at it as the 90s. Well, I guess some characters in the movies were like, it's the 90s. Um, But like, you just kind of think of the time you live in as the time you live in. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. only in retrospect that you can look. But I feel like, yeah, that idea of like pitting some kind of like modern military mechanical marvel against like classical monsters. I feel like there was a lot of that type of stuff floating around. Yeah, you know, it also gives me a bit of a um, a sensation of uh, small soldiers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was, of because I just rewatched that yeah. like I don't know two weeks oh, ago. Oh, cool! It's not great. Yeah, but. that was probably not, but it was it was a bit pivotal for me. Um, <laughs> I just remember that I think I watched that for the first time at that fateful sleepover at my friend John's house. <laughs> <laughs> where you broke up with him yeah the the morning after it's like we watch small soldiers in your house john this cannot stand <laughs> i can't be your friend anymore i've seen too much um but anywho so yes ben and spence or uh i was gonna say revive or resurrect but that's not really the right term uh but they bring the tarks to life because it's not just one i guess they make extra copies so they have a nice little militia of these uh heavily 
heavy artillery uh, cyborgs to come and save them from the goblins. Like I said, it's a real March of the Wind Soldiers situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm looking up the passages that I reproduced uh, from this moment. So the the Tarkses lay siege, and I do not use this term lightly, they lay siege on the goblin horde. Like, if you thought, based on the uh, description that I just read from the book, like, oh, they have all this heavy artillery, but, you know, this is a kid's story. They're, you know, they're just going to find, they're going to do, like, lame stuff with it. Like, that thing that shoots out fireballs, he's going to, like, use it to cut a branch down from a tree and it's going to topple on the goblins and they're going to go, you know, they're just, it's going to be a total cop out. Um, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Gentle listener, gentle reader. Jane Ellers has your back or, you know, the kid that she, (laughs) she got this, uh, you know, hypnosis induced fever dream from (laughs) has your back as well uh they rain literal flaming death on these goblins (laughs) and it must be read to be believed uh so here's here's a bit of a passage this may be like the brunt of it um but i feel like it, it goes on for a little bit longer but here's what i reproduce it said the goblins were melting and shrieking their eyes were dash dash and this freaked me out dash dash dissolving and pouring out of their faces they were coming at us holding their dripping steaming arms out in front of them like the worst monster movie that ever kept you awake after you saw it the smell was unbelievable and their big rat's teeth suddenly they were dropping onto the ground (laughs) I'm glad the smelly things got even smellier. Yeah, just when you thought they couldn't. Uh, but that is the end of the goblins. And this is your favorite story in the book? What do you think about book? that? This is... <laughs> I don't know. Um, which I think that's a good segue to the next story. Because I think the next story, the last story in the book, is the most successful in that... It's a clearly authored piece <laughs> that has um, that ha- that definitely has like weirdness running through it, but it feels a bit more, um, I guess, well handled is just the easiest way to put it. It's it's not so like it's it's not so sugared up. <laughs> like it's almost dark is where it just feels like it's about to collapse from the uh this the speed of its own delivery and just like melt into a in, into a puddle because it's just taking everything at 60 miles per hour um scary harry feel i feel like it's and it's more satisfying as a as a horror story cuz i think it's genuinely creepy and unsettling in parts and uh, in ways that um, it's almost dark is just like, you know, very crass and, uh, you know, super shock value. Scary Harry is um, is is the thinking kids horror story, <laughs> let's say. Well, let's get into um, it. So I guess, 
yeah, that's just as good as any of an introduction. So Scary Harry can really be boiled down to uh, the logline that, um, let me see if I can at least get these kids' names right. Uh, Jesse notices that his older brother Harry is going through some drastic emotional and physical changes. And lo and behold, it just seems like that his older brother is turning into a monkey or some kind of weird primate. That's basically it. Um, But like I said, there are just these weird little incidental tangents that are running through it that seem like they might have something to do with the story, but not really. Like, for instance, um, I included a detail in my review here that there are these allusions made um, to uh, an eccentric Uncle Barnaby. Hey, speaking of Babes in Toyland, uh, there's allusions to a crazy Uncle Barnaby who sends the boys strange trinkets from his globe-trotting exploits. And I can't honestly remember if that really, like, figures into the events in any direct way. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, Uncle Barnaby sent uh, Harry a cursed object and now it's turning him into a monkey. Or, I don't don't think it's a direct A to B, um, if my memory is is good. I don't don't think it's a direct A to B thing like that. It's just like, you know, um, set dressing. Um, but it, it give it gives, you know, the, the family dynamic and, and just the story itself, like, a an interesting flavor. Um, like, oh, there's kind of other weird things happening in other parts of this family, um, that aren't immediately what's in front of us. So I thought that was kind of interesting and I'm pausing sure so is. that I can plug in my laptop. Good thing you're talking while you pause. Because, you know, yeah. why, why I give the floor to me to say any thoughts that I might have as you find a natural pausing point. Do you have any thoughts at this point, Eric? No, not really. Well, I was going to ask, is it scary Harry like Prince Harry or Harry like a Harry chimp? Uh, Like Prince Harry. Oh, okay. I was imagining it was H-A-I-R-Y. Carry on. No. Or or scary Harry on. Anywho, um, anywho. So yeah, there there are weird details like that. There's also um, a truly like I don't want to oversell it in that way that people online tend to with these things, but you know it really does kind of catch you off guard when you're going into this like as we've said this kind of hoary, dusty looking goosebumps knock off you're like oh whatever baronet books you know give me your worst um but there's uh, a dream sequence and the dream itself is pretty off-putting uh in a way that kids dreams and these types of stories are not usually handled i'm just seeing if i can find it so this is um Jesse, who's having this dream, and it says, uh, is takes place in like the middle of a jungle. Um, so it says, suddenly all the birds started cackling at once and flapping their wings. Then the biggest of the flock bent over, coughing. I thought for a minute that he was going to throw up, 
but he heaved and heaved and coughed up a furball the size of my fist. No, it wasn't a furball at all. It was a head, a shrunken head. I reached over to pick it up, and it rolled away, opening its little mouth and laughing so loud the cackling birds fell silent. So yeah, there's some pretty good stuff like that in there. Weird. Uncanny. Yeah. Kind of weird. But then, <laughs> it, it does get balanced out. There's not as much goofy stuff like there is in It's Almost Dark, but we do get occasional lines like this um, where Jesse's in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen drinking some gorilla milk. That's what we call chocolate milk. When Harry walked in, Carrying a grocery sack. In the bag were about 10 pounds of bananas. I didn't think anything of it then. <laughs> it's like, there's a couple of things to unpack here. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I'm not sure that I love whatever reasons you have for calling the chocolate milk gorilla milk. <laughs> I'm sure there's a fairly innocent story behind that, but I'm also not so sure that there's a fairly innocent story behind that. It doesn't sound appetizing. So how about we just stop? Yeah, how about we just stop? Want some gorilla milk? (laughs) No, no, I don't. (laughs) Please don't. Stop calling it that. (laughs) Stop offering it to me every five minutes. Um, There, oh, and so. I also like the the 10 pounds of bananas specific. (laughs) Yes. I'm hyper aware of these kinds of specifics now ever since we read Evil Mirror. I shattered the glass for you. Anytime somebody starts talking in specific numbers. Uh, So there's another episode in this story. I can't remember like how Jesse relates it to everything else that's going on. If he relates it to everything else that's going on. But he recounts this time that he went to the zoo He's uh, and and he was looking at um, a gorilla in a cage, and the gorilla was playing with like a baby doll in you know true Coco fashion. So he says, "I stared at the gorilla for a long time, but just as I was about to leave, he suddenly turned toward me and looked right into my eyes. Then he ripped the doll's head off and threw it at me. Two days later, I read in the paper that 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 ape." had killed one of the other apes. Mm. And just, it's like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> that's it, It's like an eerie moment that seems, um, you know, real. <laughs> it's not just, you know, oh, a shrunken head rolling away and laughing. That's kind of surreal. Um, but here with this one, it's like, that seems like something that could have, you know, truly happened to somebody. And it's being used to bolster up this, um, fairly fantastical story. Um, <laughs> Although I do of wonder, a kid transforming into an ape. How deep into the newspaper was this story? <laughs> this kid is just yeah. like la la la, reading the entire newspaper cover to cover like I'm Mort Saul. Do do do. Yep, that's a reference well, to the stand-up comedian. <laughs> I think it was Mort Saul. His whole thing was like every single day I read, I get five newspapers and I read them cover to cover and that's how i come up with my material for stand-up comedy anyway that was that reference if anybody really wanted to know well 
I will sleep a little easier knowing that. I thought you might. Else. That's why. That's where he got what this, was... his five minute chunk about a uh, murderous gorilla. Yep. It was from the papers. So, anywho. Um, so, yeah, there's like little weird stuff kind of humming, this like weird machinery humming in the background of this story. And it just kind of keeps you a little ill at ease. And um, like I said, there really isn't anything overtly goofy going on front and center. Um, there are some moments that, you know, you uh, somebody might take in that light. Uh, for instance, like there's a moment where Jesse goes into Harry's room, bedroom, uh, kind of when he's like taking a shower or something. He's just kind of poking around to try to figure out what's going on with my brother. And then he hears him come out and he hides in the room, like under the bed. And then he notices as uh, Harry's, you know, stomping around and he comes into the bedroom. He notices that Harry is walking on his knuckles. And I know like even described in that way, that kind of seems like maybe potentially lame like oh really you know kids turning into an ape but i thought it was genuinely eerie it is it sounds like like a a, i would have hated this when i was a kid yeah because it sounds like the thing i like i i I wrote in my review like i probably would have thought that was really dumb when i was a kid and i wouldn't have enjoyed the story but reading it now i'm like that's actually kind of creepy (laughs) yeah i don't know if i would have credit for I, I'm not sure if I would have found it dumb. I might have, or I might have found it like, uh, just depressing. <laughs> like it feels like a very mm. melancholy story in a lot of ways. It is actually. It really is. Um, there's this whole idea, and um, that's that's one sequence. Um, that's kind of Hitchcockian in flavor. There's another one that comes later when um, Jesse breaks into a, like a storm cellar that they have on their property or a basement. And there are like rumors around the neighborhood. Jesse also has a female neighborhood companion, uh, Izzy. Um, she's kind of eccentric. There's a passage that I quoted in my review that uh, Jesse walks into the kitchen and he sees Izzy. And uh, I think it says she's wearing a pink t-shirt and she has three ponytails. I like Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I knew like we were going too. to be she friends. Cool. Yeah, three ponytails and a pink t-shirt. Can't go wrong there. Um, but she's kind of aiding him in his investigation. But she also lets him know that um, the previous tenant of their house was this reclusive scientist um, who was rumored to be doing very uh, Dr. Moreau esque experiments in the basement of the house. So that's what I mean. There's like all these seemingly disparate elements going on you know strange uncle barnaby the weird ass dream and now like mad scientist who was potentially doing animal-based experiments in the basement you know do they have anything to go do they have anything to do with what's going on with harry or not i honestly don't remember um but it's almost kind of besides the point they're just there to kind of spice up the stew and like I said just kind of keep you ill at ease the whole time and um to your point with what you were saying about the kind of melancholic tone um you you really do get a sense that Jesse's coming from a place of you know 
I love my brother and I'm just trying to understand what he's going through. And of course there are the obvious metaphorical parallels to puberty if you want, if you choose to pick up on those, but you know, to be clear, the story is not, (laughs) is not, um, you know, being coy about what's going on. This kid really is turning into a monkey for all intents and purposes. Um, and there's, again, it's like, what, I don't know why these, all these elements are working together so well, like they are, but damn it, this is so cool. The Hitchcocking sequence where, Jesse's breaking into the basement to find out if what's going on with his brother is tied to the mad scientist experiments. He's either being preoccupied in the house by Izzy, or I think she's like making a phone call, you know, and she, you know, and getting Harry to spend his time on the phone, or that might have been when Jesse was in the bedroom. I forget, but there's something like that going on, and so Jesse is like trying to suss out information in the basement. And, uh, you know, the brief amount of time he has before Harry comes back out, um, because earlier in the story, Harry left uh, the dead body of a squirrel at the entrance of the storm cellar when Jesse started poking around <laughs> like the squirrel had its neck twisted and it was just left at the entrance as like this grim uh, warning to Jesse to stay away from the basement. And again, that's just like taking the story to another level like this kid killed an animal (laughs) and is basically using it as a warning to his own brother um to stay away and leave the secrets locked up um i hope tarx comes back for the ending of this one (laughs) no um and then he blew the side of my house up and killed my brother the end <laughs> <laughs> that would have, that would have been a cool that would have been i know i lament you know series that do that kind of thing where it's like <laughs> oh it's an anthology series but the characters cross over but i would have totally been up for just tarks <laughs> kicking melting, down a door melting the eyeballs <laughs> out of harry's head the stench yeah. of gorilla poop and fur gorilla milk <laughs> I would have been definitely down for that. (laughs) But that's not what happens. Uh, It's something almost equally as cool. Uh, There's like no actual uh, face-to-face confrontation that occurs. Like no no battle is actually waged. But uh, Harry enters the basement with a baseball bat. And um, Jesse has a samurai sword that he got from Uncle Barnaby. That was his gift from Uncle Barnaby. He took the samurai sword down into the basement. So there's this, like, even though the promise of that moment isn't really delivered on, you know, there are no blows exchanged. Just, the like, there was no reason for it to pan out that way. But just the fact that it happened just delighted me. That you have like this gorilla mutant on one hand with a baseball bat and his intrepid brother who's like trying to cure his brother wielding a samurai sword. Just the coolness of the image was enough for me. I didn't need them to actually, you know, wage mortal combat upon each other. It was just perfect the way it was. And then the story itself ends on kind of like a bittersweet uh, note. It is like a little bit of a twist. Um... 
but uh but it feels more melancholy than it does you know dun 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 <laughs> you know tune in next week kind of a thing um but yeah that's scary harry and that probably is my uh my favorite of the three stories from fright time number one. Oh, okay cool yeah what do you think about that uh i'm surprised by the results but in a delighted kind of way oh okay great i'm so happy to hear that <laughs> Well, we're an hour and 40 minutes in, and I haven't even talked yeah. about the fact that I also read one of these books. Um, so I guess I'll spend an hour and 40 minutes talking about mine now. All right. Well, chances <laughs> are you're not going to be as long-winded as me. And the hilarious thing was that I did not expect it to pan out that way because I'm like, oh, God, I have to rely on my memories of this thing I read like two years ago. But like I said, I guess we just got better at the podcasting thing between... Uh, today and the first day we started this that's debatable but, uh yeah yeah mm. well i guess we'll see and if this ends up as a two-parter just like are you afraid of the dark so be it well i think the stories that i read were not as um Aww. interesting i guess <laughs> or dynamic maybe uh with a weird mishmash of sensibilities so which one did you read i read number four which contains Number four. stories entitled Don't Breathe, Overnight Mare, and It's in the Attic. Uh, and then the cover is a couple of kids running away from like a mummy swamp monster type thing, which is a scene that does not actually happen in any of the stories. That's the one. Jose's holding it up Damn in front of his it. Again, face. with the swamp monsters. Has that happened before? Well, with uh, You Can't Scare Me. Oh, you're right. Just the, yeah, just the idea of swamp monsters not actually being in the book that they serve as the cover to. Darn it. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, I don't know. Again, I don't know, like, I haven't read any of the other entries. So I don't know how often the cover is unrelated. Um, mm. So it could be like, this could be an interpretation of a scene that happens in the first story, or it could just be like, hey, draw us up some kind of spooky cover. Uh, and then, okay, yeah. What have I not done yet? Uh, I guess I haven't done a, a swamp <laughs> mummy. Paint, paint, paint. Um, although, yeah, it is in the swamp. But the kids are still wearing very heavy jackets, so this does not yeah. look like it's at all suitable for this uh, environment. Um, it's a chilly swamp. I guess so. A chilly Floridian swamp. Uh, yes. So the first story, Don't Breathe, is probably the best. Um, the inverse of yours, I guess. Uh, about uh, Two out of the three stories in this book are about somebody moving into a new place. So, which felt very goosebumpsian to me. Um, mm -hmm. And the first one is Don't Breathe. It's about a kid who is moving to Florida with his parents. Uh, I forget what it's called. There's a term for it, but the dad gets a job with this company. And it's one of those deals where it's like, we all live in this community that is provided by the company. So like, I don't have to pay for my house. you know, like a compound type thing. Um, I forget what that's called, but I remember Mr. Beast, the YouTuber, has been 
controversial lately because he's like buying houses for employees and stuff. And people are like, mm, these things never really turn out good. Mm -hmm. uh, it usually devolves into a cult. So anyway, it reminded me of um, if you've seen, oh shoot, what's that movie called? Where the black people talk with, they have like white people voices that they use on, in their telemarketing jobs. Did you see that movie? No. <laughs> oh, what is it called? Oh, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you has a plot uh, point about a company like this where it's like everybody like wears jumpsuits and lives in these houses that the company buys for them. And, you know, we're really blurring the line between work and not being at work anymore. Mm. Um, I'm explaining it poorly, but I think people get what I'm saying. Uh, no, not at all. So, <laughs> I, I mean, about you explaining it poorly, not about people not getting it. <laughs> I, you know, I'll take it. You don't have to soften the, you don't have to be the gorilla softening your baseball bat blow to my samurai sword wielding. Anyway, I'm torturing the metaphor there. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, don't breathe is just about where they move into this community where everybody works for the same company. And then the, they have an incident where they're flying in on like a little, you know, prop plane or whatever, like a, a very small plane. And as they're landing, the pilot um, is like, just has like a seizure and is like, don't move here, move, get out while you still can. And then all these like people rush in from an ambulance and like grab him and put him on the stretcher and like put a gas mask over his face and like yellow and blue gas like floods into his system. And he becomes tranquil again. Um, so it's basically like about, yeah, that's the story is like this company is producing this chemical that makes people complacent and turns them into zombies. It doesn't affect the little boy because he has asthma. Um, what I thought the setup was going to be, speaking of, we've talked about how M. Night Shyamalan borrowed a twist from Are You Afraid of the Dark for The Sixth Sense. I thought it was going to be a situation like in Signs where the kid was going to get gassed at a crucial moment, but like his throat was closed up because of his asthma. So it didn't affect him, but actually it turns out that it's just his inhaler, like makes him immune to the gas because it's got, you know, pure oxygen in it or whatever. Um, and then there's another girl who seems to be the only other person in this entire town. Who's also immune to this gas. Cause as soon as they move in, his parents start behaving strangely. Uh, and they're like, Listen here, son. All that matters is this town. I don't matter. You don't matter. This town matters. And he's like, oh, never heard that voice coming out of dad before. Uh, but there's this other girl who lives across the street who's like diabetic and somehow her insulin shots make her immune to the chemical. So then it's just about like infiltrating the company um, with her mom's ID card and then trying to find the source of the gas. And then the gas turns out to be like, sentient because it's like talking to people <laughs> uh so they break into like a board meeting where the there's just like a globe filled with <laughs> gas and the gas is just like forming a mouth and being like we gotta find these damn kids <laughs> so that we can <laughs> figure out how to make them you know like strip away their immunity so that we can then release me the gas over the entire globe and i can enslave everybody and then the sequence that is sort of like the cover is that they are being chased through the swamp because, oh, because they, um, 
they find the pilot. I think his name is Jeremy. They find him in the compound and they like cover up the gas so that he comes back to his lucid self again. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go start up the plane. You guys, you know, do what you got to do and then meet me there in 45 minutes or whatever. Um, so then they're running through the swamp to get to the plane and the, the gas is chasing after them being like, you'll never get away from me. Uh, <laughs> that's that story. It ends pretty abruptly. They're just like, and then we landed on a military base and we said, Hey, this gas is alive. And then they came in and blew everything up and everything's fine now. <laughs> Including the people, you know, maybe it's, it's for the greater good. <laughs> No, what I think... do we really lose here anyway? <laughs> I think mom and dad are okay at the end, uh, but it is just funny. <laughs> like, um, as I was reading it, I was like, this is sort of like, um, it feels like a Goosebumps book, like without the filler, because it is just constantly moving. But then it, it also is like, maybe you kind of need the filler because things go so fast. And right. what you were saying about how the writing style in that one story feels like the authentic voice of a kid. There was like a couple of times where I noticed like little stylistic things where I was like, it almost does feel like this is written by a kid because like there's little like very elliptical storytelling. Um, yeah. There were times when don't breathe really just kind of felt like it was summarizing the plot instead of actually allowing the plot to unfold. Mm. Uh, so I think it could have used another like 20 or 30 pages to really feel like fleshed out. But anyway, um, you have any comments about that one? I'm curious why the gas, why did the gas feel like he had to stop the two kids from before just carrying out his plan? It sounded like everything was going just fine. I'm not sure what wrinkle they were putting into it. Yeah, well, I think because he says something along the lines of like, or like one of the his lackeys who is reporting to him about the status of their plan is like, currently, you know, 98.67% of the world's population is susceptible to your effects, which, but that means that we would still have, you know, millions of people able to resist you. So they, I think they want to get the kids so they can study them and see why they can resist the effects of the gas so that when they unleash mm. it across the entire planet then there will be nobody who can resist. You see what I'm saying? Oh, no. I yeah. see what you're saying now. I guess it makes sense. I'll give <laughs> it that. Yeah. So that one was, uh, you know, B+. Next was Overnightmare, which is about a couple of kids who are, or like three kids who are, um, they go into the woods, into a place where, you know, you're not supposed to be, trespassing i guess they go out there to camp and then civil war go show up and then they sort of it's ambiguous like it seems like they go back in time to the civil war and then the confederate soldiers are like hey go tell us if there's a union ambush up there and then they're like okay and then there is a union ambush and they tell them about it and then the confederate army wins a battle that historically they didn't win hooray so that's that good story. job kids yeah i know right it's very strange i was like boy this is that's it that's the story that's the whole thing wow 
Yep. And there's absolutely, it's, what was, it's, what was scary about any of this? I mean, it's, because they're ghosts. Ooh, ghosts. <laughs> it's scary on like a revisionist history level. <laughs> yeah, it's scary in a way but that I don't know if it's kids are concerned. <laughs> it's very strange because yeah. I was sort of waiting the entire story to get some kind of final word from the author on like, how do we feel about, you know, the Confederate army in this story? It kind of feels like it's pro, but... Uh, there's no real definitive, like it just kinds of ends with them being like, gee, I wonder if this happens every night. We could find out if we camp here again. No, thanks. Ha 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 ha. Freeze frame. (laughs) Roll credits. (laughs) So you never really find out exactly how the kids feel. about. We won't be deciding fate anytime soon at our next sleepover. Yeah. Maybe we can help the whole Confederate army win the entire war next time. Wouldn't that be cool? We (laughs) can do better than that. (laughs) So that's a strange entry. And then the last one is called It's in the Attic, which I was hoping would be about a monster, but it's not. It's about a wedding dress. Um, You're an adult, Jose. So do you know... Something that always happens when people buy a house, like a previously lived in house in books, is like there's always all this stuff in the attic from previous owners. And I'm like, is that real? Or like, I would have thought that like the realtor company would like come in and remove all that stuff. But does stuff just get left in old houses when you buy when you buy them? Well, I would say on the whole, no. Um, you know, there may be special circumstances. The closest thing we have, we were just talking about this earlier, is that um, occasionally when we've been uh, gardening and landscaping in our backyard, we'll be, you know, digging holes for plants or transplanting <laughs> plants. Uh, we we come across uh, old dog toys that the previous oh. canine buried in the backyard. Um, but that's the closest I think we've come to anything like that. Yeah. That my that's memory horrible. can recall. I was like, yeah, boy, this no, could really so go in a bad direction. <laughs> yeah. We came across the strangest thing the other day. <laughs> a whole arm. We're looking for the rest. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's in the attic is one of those situations where the attic is full of stuff for previous owners. And then there's a wedding dress there. It's from a bride um, who was left at the altar that day. Now she's haunting the house. The young girl's getting possessed mm. by her. Um, this was already kind of, this is the one that I read most recently and it's stuck in my memory the least. Uh, she starts to get like kind of possessed by the ghost, but also like pulled into, like, I guess the idea is that like, she's a kind young teenager. So the bride is like, come comfort me in the attic forever. <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> and then that story ends where uh, a trusty trip to the library where she goes through microfiche of old newspapers, which is one of the tropes I always hey. love. Yeah. She goes to the library and finds an article um, saying that this guy that she was, the bride was supposed to marry, you know, a hundred years ago or whenever it was, was like, Oh, he uh, got hit by a horse drawn cart and died. And that's why he didn't show up on the day of her wedding. And, 
um, the family didn't tell her because uh, they just didn't feel like it, I guess. So she lived out the whole rest of her life thinking that Charles had just abandoned her, um, her life and a lot of her un-life. So then the girl brings home the, the article and is like, look, he didn't abandon you. He's dead instead. Isn't that great? And the bride's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go join him in the afterlife. The end. Mm. Wow, you got some clunkers. <laughs> yeah. Which is not to say that I, I don't know how um how many good stories were told across the span of the Fright Time series. Uh, I, I seem to remember... Um, a fair majority of them being boring, <laughs> kind of like probably the one you mentioned, uh, oh, like the one um, you mentioned in particular over nightmare. There's another story that's like that from number eight, I think. Um, that's the one that looks like it has. Uh... We have another kid in a sweater on the cover. Um, he looks like he's like bionic kid. He's about to take off into <laughs> a little bit of a bionic run there, and he's also being menaced by a pretty gnarly-looking snaggletooth zombie behind him. Um, I think it's the one called Aftershock. Oh, no, that's Deadly Creatures coming from the power lines. Oh, yeah, so Zombie Zone. Maybe it's that one. I feel like it was one of those two, but uh, the kid goes back in time, to like the cowboy days and he yeah, comes across ooh. like this yeah exactly he comes across like this noted criminal and i just remember what one totally random sequence where you know the bandits getting all tough with him and the kid's like uh, either the bandit acts for them or the kid offers them as like a means of distraction and it works he gives him his walkman he's like here <laughs> try this mr bandit of course and the guy's like oh what are these voices i'm hearing and the kid like runs off while he's listening to you know i don't know new kids on the block or something <laughs> um <laughs> i am darth I vader from, that story. from the planet vulcan Yes, <laughs> that's uh, that is kind of indicative of what a lot of Fright Time stories felt like, where they're just kind of like these limp terrors. Again, you know, Baronet books, it's like, we're going to make a scary story, scary series for kids. And meanwhile, we're adapting, you know, Sherlock Holmes on the other side of the office, it's like, well, it's an admirable effort, but you know, a lot, of, a lot of it couldn't help but feel a little tepid. However, mm -hmm. um, I have like seen people talk about this series online, and specifically mention certain stories with that kind of um, uh, breathless nostalgia of, oh man, I remember this one story. It was so crazy um, before. When I when I thought uh, Eric and I were going to be able to recount some different books from the series, the one that I chose was was uh, a book that had one of those stories in it that a fair amount of people seem to remember. Um, so it's like in little fits and starts, they had these moments of inspiration, you know, be a deranged inspiration or otherwise. But on the whole, it was kind of just like a very 
it was kind of like an armchair <laughs> type scary series for kids. You know, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing too crazy. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are others out there that um, really are on the same level of insanity as it's almost dark or um, kind of Val Lutonian uh, suspense of scary Harry. Who knows? Scary um, Harry. Did yeah. you have any uh, scary Harry? Did you have any final thoughts about the series? Is this something you think you would try out again in the future or what's the deal? Um, yes, I would. Should I say I like the strong conviction in which you said that. Yeah, Uh, no, I think it's a cool, again, the fact that they're all no question. (laughs) The fact that they're all different authors, I think is kind of a fun twist. Um, And you really only need Mm. one half decent story in an entire, because it's like, it doesn't, I read the whole book today over the course of like an hour and a half. So, you know, if you get one half decent story and then two that aren't not miserable to read, it's like, well, that was, that was an hour and a half well spent. Um, but in terms of, I was yeah. going to ask you though, when you were saying there were some real clunkers in there, uh, it's kind of a trick question because there's only a couple of actual short stories series outside of this that I can remember for kids, especially horror related ones. But I was going to say, what would you say is the most consistent, um, short story anthology series is, is for kids. Ooh, geez. Cause um, I'll tell you my memory. It's the Bruce Coville's book of, I feel like well, had a lot of really good ones yes. in there, but if I were to reread those in adult as an adult, maybe I'd be like, Oh, I really only remember like the good three out of these 12 or something. I don't know. I can't, uh, I couldn't say for sure with regards to that series. Cause I only, well, no, I might've read others. I only have one, which is uh Bruce Coville's book of monsters. Um, I can't, and I can't say for sure if I read any of the other ones, I feel like I might've read one of the spine tinglers back in school. Um, but at least based on Book of Monsters, I would say that's a fair assessment because even if um, like every story isn't specifically to my liking in that book, they're all still very good. Um, I feel like they were curated um, well. Yeah, and it's unfair because Bruce Koval also had the the luxury of going back and just like anything he could get the rights to, he would throw in there. So he had like Ray Bradbury stories in some of them. He had um, the story that the Twilight Zone episode to serve man, you know, he was able to go put that story in there. So it it was not exactly a fair comparison with the series. It's trying to come up with like three brand new stories every single outing, you know, a month or however many um, of these came out, right? Yeah, true enough. Um, to answer your question, though, I would say um, I'm going to go fairly more recent with my pick. Um, a series that has always managed to delight me um, in in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I can't remember if I brought it up on the show before, but um, 
there's no like uh there's no one collective title for me to refer to the series by other than saying the weenie books uh by david lubar hmm. um the first one was invasion of the lawn weenies and then each successive one has a different title that's a play on that so there's like curse of the campfire weenies battle of the red hot pepper weenies uh check out the library weenies was one of the last few ones to come out um and i know from the title it's like "Mm, yeah i don't know about that jose uh however they are um they're fairly sizable collections most of the stories are pretty short like two to three pages tops sometimes um and the thing that I love about them is that there's just such a wealth of imagination and uh, wit throughout all of them. Again, it's you know not necessary, necessarily true that um, I love every single story, but I appreciate every one of them. They all have, they're very idea-driven. I mean, they would kind of have to be um, for being so short. Um, so if, if you love the short form and just like getting like you you know getting that short sharp shock or jolt that you do from an abbreviated tale well told that's like one of the best series um well we'll have to cover somebody i hope in the future too yeah i'd love to um maybe get him on the show all right great well there's your open invitation uh Oh. Lou Bar, is that what you said his name was? Yeah. Lou Bar. Yeah, and I hope I'm not pronouncing it. <laughs> I hope I'm not pronouncing it incorrectly. Our arch nemesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's. Huh, is there anything else I want to say about fry time? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't like we mind. Said before, uh, we can revisit some of them in the future because. One of the ones, I, it's annoying that they list things on open library that they don't actually have. Yeah. Because like, it's not like they list all of the Fright Time books, one through 18. So why list any of the ones that they don't? I don't know. It's very strange. But one of them had a story called Gore Tour. And I'm like, ooh. Mm. I'm curious how much will it actually live up to the title and if it pulls right. its punches and doesn't, then it, like maybe it'll do it in an interesting way. I think that's uh, a story that deals with another one of my favorite genre tropes, uh, and it has a wax museum setting. Oh, okay. Or is that Monster Bill's Revenge I'm thinking of? I feel like they're the same book. Couldn't tell you. Anyway. Anyway. I love wax museums and a horror story. They're the best. That's all I got to say about that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe in the future we'll hear some more thoughts about that. Maybe we will. And maybe we'll hear some thoughts in the future about Fright Time from you, dear listener. Is this a series that you have recollections of reading as a kid? Uh, Please reach out to us and let us know, especially if there are any stories uh, that you recall with some bit of fondness, whether it was... uh, just love for the actual narrative or incredulity over 
what it was that your eyeballs were taking in. We'd love to hear both of those. You can reach out to us uh, via our email address, which is blackmagictreehousepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Instagram. Our handle is the same as our email address, blackmagictreehousepod. And believe it or not, we are also on facebook now we, we want to hear from listeners we want to hear from fans of this stuff um you know there are so many gatherings and groups out there on social media that cater to the young adult crowd you know fans of like the point horror books from the 80s and 90s so on and so forth and of course there are plenty of goosebumps fan clubs but uh, we really want to open the treehouse door open wide to any potential club members who want to come up and talk about all those other weird, creepy books that you remember seeing as kids. Uh, so come on over. You can find us just by searching Black Magic Treehouse on Facebook. Give us uh, a join and, uh, and join in on the conversation. We'd love to hear from you one way or the other. Is there anything else that you feel we should impart to our dear, beloved listeners tonight, Eric? Uh, well, I could tell you, I don't want to move to prolapsed rectum, Virginia. So long, everybody. What? Rectum? Damn, Damn near killed him.